The following is an audio sermon from Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. For more free audio content, search Sacred City Church in your iTunes store. So last week, verse 15, we saw that faith is primary, but fruit is necessary. Uh, the statement that kind of sticks with us is, uh, no, we're not saved by our fa- we're not, we are saved by faith, not fruit, but no one is saved by fruitless faith. Okay? We're saved by faith, not fruit, but no one is saved by fruitless faith. Uh, then we went through, we got to a point where we went through the one another's in the New Testament and saw just how radically, right, how radically our lives should be reoriented around the family of God. How God gave us plenty of scriptures that say, do this to one another. Love one another, serve one another, sacrifice for one another, give to one another. That as Christians, our lives have been adopted into the family of God. We do not serve an individualistic God, right? We don't have this individualistic relationship that, oh, the newlyweds, look who's here. So that will be great on podcast right there. That will, whoever's listening to this. Uh, if, if, you got, if you got married last night, you have full right to walk in late, okay? So, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So we went through that. Now, us in our culture, and actually not even just in our culture, well, mainly in our culture, but also just in the human heart, we are inherently selfish, right? We want to orient our life around us. We want to, everything to circula- uh, revolve, circulate, revolve around us. We want to be God in our own little world. All right. So what we do is we, when we come to faith, we make God out into our image. So a God that serves our personal needs, we come, get our little thing with God, then we go out and live our own way. We don't serve or lay our life down for anybody because we're busy and we've got stuff going on. And you, we don't get to do that, right? We don't get to do that when we're adopted into the family of God. There is no A team, B team. We're all grafted into the same thing. If you're a follower of Christ, fruit will come, and that looks like laying your life down for your brother for your sister. So, now, the question that we should be asking is, how do I do that? Right? Because everyone should have been smacked square in the face last week with, I suck at that. Right? When you go through all those lists, every one of us try to orchestrate our life where we avoid people that are difficult because we got stuff to do. If you're, if you're, if you got like production idols where you like to be efficient and you like to make stuff happen, you will actually dodge people with issues, and that's a sin. All right. If you've got like hero idols, you'll actually gravitate towards people with he- issues. All right. Because you could actually, he- you think you're the savior complex. You think you can heal them. You think you can really, you know, that you're that you're kind of a, a little personal god to them. So there's all these different things that we can do that basically are a sin. Right? They're idols that, we, that, we, that pop up in our life. So every one of us should have thought last week, oh man, I'm bad at this. I don't know how to do this. I don't really know if I can, if I, if I can really make this happen or not. And thankfully, that's exactly where Paul goes. Paul goes, he just, we're going to go right through his prayer, and he's going to show us where we can get the power to live like this. Where we can get the, uh, the power to live like changed people that serve one another and lay their lives down for one another. So, we're going to start in verse 15. Actually, I'm going to, we'll go there in a second. Now, you should, hopefully you're around here enough that you know, I'm not going to say, this is what you got to do. All right? Stop being selfish. Boom. 
done, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Just plan your schedule better. Just read a getting things done book and just figure out how to orchestrate your life where you're more efficient and you can serve more people. That's what it's all about. Just take up more nights and do more things. Hopefully you've been around here enough that you know that is not the gospel and that's not the power that will keep us doing things for the long haul. The people that do that either get burned out really fast, they sacrifice their family, all right? They, be, they, they serve other gods like, you know, the, the gods of productivity and the gods of... If I help enough people, then God will love me. That's not the gospel. All right? There's a different motivation, a different way to this. I, want, I hope you are beginning to see that that, is, that response, uh, a response like that is completely contrary to the gospel. Uh, Paul's going to show us the answer to living the life of faith and a life of love is found in the power of God, the power that God has worked in us and through Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to really dig into this, dig down to this section of Scripture tonight. And we're going to mine some gold, I hope. So I want you to go to uh, 115. We're going to read it. I'm going to read to, uh, 15 to 20. When you're there, say there. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." All right, now, the first thing I want you to see in the structure of this prayer, now sometimes, guys, when you're, when you're studying a passage of Scripture, all right, it's one thing just to read through it real quick, but it's another thing to, to really try to break this down and to study it. So I kind of gave you a rough outline in those notes that I put out there. I kind of gave you a rough outline, okay? The first thing I want you to see is that Paul prays that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He wants them to know God intimately. Say, that's the goal. Say, that's the goal. The goal, he says this, I'm praying that you know God intimately. That's the goal, all right? They want, he wants them to know God, not in this schoolmaster teacher sort of way, not in I know about God and I've conceived of some things and I've thought about Him. He's saying, I want you to know God intimately. All right, that's what he's, that's what he's talking about. And then he says this, having had... The eyes of your heart enlightened. Having had the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know the hope, the riches, and the power. Okay? Rough outline of this prayer. We're going to go through that. We're going to unpack it. We're going to break it down a little bit. Um, and we're going to go into each thing a little bit more detail. All right? So Paul is saying what you really need, what you really need is to know God more intimately. You don't need more money. Some of you are going to disagree on that point. You don't need a better spouse. <clears throat> you don't need more obedient children. You don't need an easier life. You don't need a better boss. You don't need a new president. You don't need fill it in. What you need, these people are, what you need, he's saying, is to know God in a more intimate way. He's getting under all of your other needs, 
all the things that we think are main needs, we think are ultimate needs, he's getting under that and he's saying, no, there's something that if you get it, it'll push you through all the, all the rest of life and, and allow you to, to, to push through the rest of life and, and understand it in a better way, okay? So he goes on. Now, how, how can we know God? How can we know God in this intimate, intimate way? How can we know God in this ultimate, intimate sense? Now, Paul goes on. He says this, having had the eyes of your heart enlightened. Having had the eyes of your heart enlightened. Romans 3 and John 6 clearly spell out for us why we're not a seeker-sensitive church. Okay, Romans 3 says no one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. Okay, John 6 says no one can come to the Father or no one can come to me, Jesus said this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. I want you to hear that. No one seeks after God. There's people out there that build churches that believe there's a lot of people bouncing around town saying, oh boy, I just wish a new church would pop up. Unbelievers are not out there asking that question. Now, disgruntled church people might be. All right? But no one is seeking after God. No one in their unregenerate hearts are walking around saying, boy, I wish God would show up and tell me what to do and how to live my life. They're absolutely fine with God being an idea or a concept that they can put on the back burner so they can orchestrate their own existence, determine their own life, set their own sails, captain their own ship. They're fine with that. Their eyes are completely closed to Him. They may say, they, you know, they might say, oh boy, if God was real, I really wish He'd show up in a dream and tell me, and blah, 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 but they don't really have a desire to know Him. In other, uh, in other words, people who do not want to know God, or people do not want to know God before they're acted upon by God. All right? I, I got this uh, quote this week from a, a friend, and it's actually from Stephen King's The Stand. And I thought it was a great quote, and I asked him if I could share it, and uh, here it is. This is a quote from The Stand. I'm such a rational old curmudgeon. I like to creep through my daily round to water my garden, to read my books, to write my notes for my own book. I like to do all these things and then have a glass of wine at bedtime and fall asleep with an untroubled mind. Yes, none of us wants to see portents or omens, no matter how much we like our ghost stories in the spooky films. None of us want to really see a star in the east or a pillar of fire by night. We want peace and rationality and routine. If we have to see God, it's bound to remind us that there's a devil for every God and our devil may be closer than we like to think. See, that's the way that the Bible... Now listen, the Bible talk, this is how the Bible talks about human people. How The Bible talks about human depravity. How it talks about original sin. That we are incapable of choosing God. We are incapable of loving God. We are incapable of seeing the goodness of God until God acts on our behalf. Until He regenerates our hearts. Paul says, until the eyes of our heart have been enlightened. We're incapable of doing the right thing. So that means, if you're telling a friend, if you're on mission to someone, and you're telling them, just start acting right. All you need to do is come to church and start living right and start acting right, and then your life will get better. You're giving them a false gospel. They can't do that. If they could accomplish it, then they become their own savior. They don't need Jesus Christ to save them. 
Jesus Christ is the only one that can regenerate a soul, that can speak to the dead and make him alive. Paul's saying, I'm praying that you know God, having had the eyes of your heart enlightened. He's saying the only way you can know God, the only way you can come to an intimate knowledge of God is if God's acted first. If God stepped out first and he brought you back to life. If you see goodness from God, then you've been acted on by God. Now, I want to be able, personally, I want to be able to share the gospel with someone and they believe it right away. That's what I want. But over the past few weeks, I've had several really tough conversations with people where the illustration that I keep using is like my, I feel like my words are a ping pong ball and I'm bouncing it off a bronze statue. Every time. I'm trying to speak the gospel to someone. I'm trying to share my faith. I'm trying to, you know, somebody's going through some issues and they're having a tough time. And I feel like my words are just, I'm throwing a ping pong ball. Nothing's getting through. And I, that, that makes me angry, okay? That frustrates me a little bit. All right? I'm one of those guys with the, kind of the Savior complex that wants everybody to love Jesus and everybody to know the Savior and everybody to come to have a heart change and a life transformation like I have. That's what I want for people. That's what I want for you. You want to know what my goal is for you? That you would impact, that you would be so impacted by Christ, man, that your entire life would be changed. That what this prayer that Paul is praying, that's what I want to see for you. That you would know Christ in an intimate way, where your whole life would be changed by him. That's my prayer for every single person in here. But Paul is saying in this prayer, the only way for them to come to know God in an intimate way is for their eyes to be enlightened, and that is something only God can do. I want you to think about that for a minute. See, I can argue with people and possibly convince them, but I cannot enlighten their eyes by the grace of God. That's what we're asking. We're not about filling this building with people. We want to see people born again. We want to see hearts that have been worshiping the idols of, that we create. We want to see those hearts come alive in the gospel. People that worship success lay it down for the glory of God. People that worship power, lay it down to serve other people. That doesn't happen from a good sermon. That doesn't happen from great conversation or whatever. That happens only by the power of God. So first off, no one can come to know God through our power. God is the only one who can open the eyes of a dead man's heart. But Paul here, he's praying for believers here who have already had, thank God, he's praying for, to believers who have already had their eyes enlightened. That should give, I mean, if Paul's writing a letter to Sacred City Church, he's like, all right, Sacred City Church, here, listen, this is what I want you to do. I'm praying that you come to know God in a more intimate way, having had the eyes of your heart enlightened. We should all be like, yes, we made the cut, okay? Our eyes have been enlightened. That's a good thing. Paul is praying that to these believers. Alright, he's saying right away, and he's saying this, because you've, had, you've been enlightened, I want you to know three things. Okay, I want you to know three things. Because your heart's been enlightened, I want you to know three things. The hope, the riches, and the power. These three things will help you know the Father in an intimate way. Alright, we spent, uh, first off, the hope. We spent two weeks talking about our Christian hope. 
So I'm not going to spend much time there. I'm gonna, I'll regurgitate only one thing here, and that's this. Um, this is what Christian hope's all about. Number one, all bad things, all bad things in your life, every bad situation, every hurtful thing, every sin that someone's done against you, all bad things will work towards your ultimate salvation. We like to say that everything sad will come untrue in the end. Everything sad will come untrue. Number two, no good thing will be taken away from you. The good gifts that you receive on earth, we get to take with us in heaven. Number three, the best is yet to come. It's a crazy, I mean, we had two whole sermons about what the hope, what our Christian hope is, new heavens, new earth, all that entails in that. I'm not going to go into it all. Um, the second thing we're going to talk about here is the riches. All right, I want you to look at this. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. All right, we spent two weeks on that. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, we, we spent a couple weeks talking about our inheritance. Remember? The inheritance of the saints. What are the inheritance of the saints? We give, I want you to see the possessive pronoun in this scripture changes the entire interpretation. And I want you to see it. I want you. I'm gonna, I hope I can. I hope we're gonna. I'm gonna give you a thirst for the Word of God and a hunger to rightly divide the Word of God. Look at this. The greatness, and what? Oh, I'm sorry. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? His, not our inheritance. God's inheritance. What? What is God's inheritance? This is. This is crazy. We are. We are God's inheritance. <clears throat> because He has chose us, I mean, this is all from verses 3 through 14, because He chose us, because He blessed us, because He predestined us, because He redeemed us, because He adopted us, we are His possession. And like ours, Paul says this, you've been given a down payment and you get the full installment when we get to heaven or when we get to the new heavens and new earth or when Christ comes back, you'll fully realize... Your inheritance, God's saying, so will I. So will I. You are my inheritance. Now, this is crazy to me. This is crazy because we know that God in himself exists in Trinity. He's perfect. He's not lacking anything. He lives in a perfect love relationship. We live in community because our God is community. Father loves the Son, or Father loves the Son, Son loves the Spirit, Spirit loves the Son, Son loves the Father. All this circular love. They're not lacking anything. But this is, you know what, this is, a, uh, this is almost a dangerous scripture. I don't even know how to interpret, I'll be honest. And I, I was checking all over the commentaries, and nobody can really get a handle on this scripture because it's just so out there, all right? It's, almost, it's very controversial. This scripture is very controversial. Why? Because God is not lacking anything. God is not lacking love. But look at this. He so loves us. He so loves us. That he says, you are my possession. And I don't even get what I want. I don't even get all of what I want until the new heavens, new earth, and everything's been redeemed. And if you're a parent, you get this. Because your identity, now maybe not your identity, but part of your love is wrapped up in your children. You, you can fight it. But when they score a goal in soccer, right, my kid had three goals this week in soccer, and I was like, yeah, that's my boy, right? My happiness is wrapped up in my son. Now, not, not ultimately, not ultimately, 
if God takes my son off this planet, my, my identity is still found in God. It will be really difficult, but my identity is still found in God. My ultimate happiness, my ultimate joy is still found in God. But it's still hard to make that disconnect, right, from your child. When they get hurt, you hurt, right? When, you, when they are ecstatic, you're ecstatic. When they do something great, you're, God, this is crazy. The God of the universe who is absolutely full, doesn't need anything, doesn't lack anything, has so tied himself to us that he is waiting for his ultimate inheritance that's coming. When God fulfills all things, when Christ comes back, it's called the consummation. He finishes the work that he started. He brings in the kingdom in an ultimate sense. That you have a father who's waiting for you. No matter what your earthly father was like, you have a heavenly father that's put his down payment, that he's paid for you, he's ransomed you, he's adopted you, and he's waiting. He's waiting for you. That, that is a radical concept if you really start thinking about it. God has tied his happiness to us. Can we shut that door right there? I don't know why. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> so like ours, God's inheritance will be fully realized in the future. Now this is the statement. Now this is where the sentence lies right here. All of the, um, all of the, you know, all the rest of this prayer, this is where the, this is where the, the magic happens. All right. This is where the good stuff really comes in. And this is where I started getting excited this, last week when I was really when I was really studying this. <clears throat> what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Now, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, this Paul. He gets, he's a pretty excited dude, all right? He's a pretty passionate dude. We knew verse 3 to 14 was all one sentence, all right? Verse 15 through 23, all one sentence, all right? Brother was not, he, did, he was not a fan of punctuation, okay? He was just spitting it out there and just, they were, you know, whoever, he, either he was writing it or they're dictating it, and he was just passionate about getting this thing out, all right? Now, the, I started studying this in the Greek, all right? And this, I, put the, I think I put the words in there. The immeasurable greatness of his power. Immeasurable, the word is hyperbolo. Greatness, the word is megathos. And power, the word is dy uh, dynamis. All right? Or dunamis, as I think you say it. So Paul is saying here, <laughs> hype, what? Wait, wait, I read what you're going to say right now. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you already know what I'm going to say. So he's saying, I mean, you know what we get our words from here, right? The hyper mega dynamite. All right, that's the words we get here. So he's like, I want you to know this power. What kind of power? Hyper mega dynamite. <laughs> Paul, like, brother, he's wanting to communicate something for us. I wish I could, you know, I wish we could all read that in our scripture. This is why it's good if you have a logos. Like, I have a logos um, a thing on my computer, and it's got, it does all the Greek for you. It goes through all that for you. You can look into it. It's, it's a little expensive, but it's great to be able to study the Bible in depth. All right? So he's wanting to say, I mean, he's not just saying uh, this, you know, 
this little, this little power, like God's got this little power that I want you to know. He's going over the top. Hyper, mega, dynamite power. All right? It's, it's nuts. Okay? Now listen, this is the goal. The goal of knowing God intimately is that we might know His great power directed toward us. All right? We might know His great power directed toward us. What is the immeasurable, hyper, greatness, mega, power, dynamite? God has worked hyper, mega, power, right? Hyper, mega, dynamite toward us who believe. Say toward us. All right, now listen to this. This is crazy. The word toward, all right, is called energia. All right, energia. What word do you think we get from there? Right? Energy, right? Energy. Now listen, this denotes an active energy. All right? It's not like, it's not like the outlet that I have to plug into. It's more like the light bulb that's already on. Okay? This is something that's active toward us. This gets me excited here, okay? That God is saying, or Paul is saying through the scripture that there is a hyper, mega, dynamite power that's acting upon you right now, causing you to believe. Right now. The reason you chose Christ, hyper, mega, dynamite. <laughs> that's why. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. Okay. We're wanting t-shirts and a tattoo. Now listen, this is so... Guys, the reason I'm bringing this up, I hope we... Paul's saying, I want you to see the power that is at work in your life. You did not come to faith because you made a good decision. You didn't come to faith because you strolled into church and you said, you know what, I'm going to clean my life up one day. I'm tired of being an alcoholic or whatever. I'm just going to straighten myself up. No. You came to faith because hyper, mega, dynamite power working on you. Listen to me. This, I'm going to use my mom as an illustration because I can. Most of you already, some of you already know this, but um, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, something like that, we were celebrating the birth of our missional community. And um, we were at 11th Street having a good time, drinking, eating, having a great time celebrating the birth of a new missional community. My mom walks outside to smoke. She's been smoking for 35 years. And, uh, I mean, she, she's like Cruella de Vil smokes, like the, like the ones that are like 18 inches long that bounce out of your mouth. That's what she smokes, all right? Yeah, yeah. So. And, and so she's out there, and there's a couple other guys out there that are smoking, and, and they say, my mom says, oh, I didn't know you smoked. They're, yeah, yeah, we're trying to quit. We're trying to quit. My mom, she just, she goes, oh, I'm done. I, I ain't trying to quit no more. I've tried to quit. I've been smoking for 35 years. I smoke, I don't even remember how many packs a day, but a lot. And uh, I, I'm done trying to quit. I'm not, you know. This is just who I am. This is what I do. I can't quit. She goes home, or she you know, goes back, finishes the party out, whatever. Goes home. Just so happens, she comes down with, with a, a really, really bad chest cold. All right? The next few days, she physically tries to smoke and can't. She can't inhale at all. She can't, she can't smoke, so she doesn't smoke. Ten days later, right, like it was an eight-day sickness, gets this chest cold. Ten days later, she tells us she hasn't. In 35 years, now it's been 10 days since she smoked a cigarette, all right? And now it's been how many days, do you know? Three weeks tomorrow. Three weeks tomorrow, she hasn't smoked a cigarette. Now listen, that is hyper, mega, dynamite power. I can't do it on my own. I know somebody who can. God will do it, and I love how he did it too. 
You know, I was telling my missional community, like a 60-foot angel didn't show up in a dream and say, I'm going to take away your addiction to cigarettes. So then you could brag about it later. No, my mom, this does not make my mom look good, right? She's like, oh, I suck. I'm always going to smoke. I'm going to die of it. I'm She's saying, and, then, and God's like, yeah, I'll take it. And I'll make you sick for it first. <laughs> I'll use sickness to make it happen. It's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Now we, you know, so Doc, if you figure that out, maybe we could start injecting like a chest cold into people. It could like this new, you know, no, right? You can't make that happen. That's what God does, guys. That's what God does. And I want you to see that's how God brings about salvation. Next week we're going to talk about it because in Ephesians 2, Paul just says, all right, I'm tired of hitting about it. Here's what we're going to go. Ephesians 2, 1. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. I want you to see that. Our faith should be the most humbling faith because it's God's active power at work in us that's caused us to believe. He's opened our eyes. He's moved upon us. God's done that. Hyper, mega, dynamite power. Now listen, um, this is a supernatural power. And I want you to see what this power has done. Is this just a, what kind of power is this? Is this like an ethereal power? Like God's all powerful, but I don't really know it. Look what this power has done. Let's go. Now he's just going to describe it. So Paul, he gets so excited. He goes, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to know Christ intimately. In an intimate way, I want you to know Christ, right? Then he says this. I want you to know the hope. Because your eyes, have been light, your heart, eyes of your heart have been lightened, I want you to know the hope. Then I want you to know the riches. God has adopted you into his family and he's getting something out of it and he's excited. He's an adoptive parent that is exciting to get his child into his home. And then thirdly, I want you to know the power. And this is where Paul kind of goes off. Like, let's let, watch this. The power toward us who believe according to, this is the type of power, this is what's, what the power has done, the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things... All right, let's just stop right there. Paul is going off here. The power that saves you, the power that causes you to believe, the power that's at work in your life right now, the power that can come upon you and defeat addictions and defeat idols and can change your life and can change literally the core of who you are and what you worship and how you love and how you live and how you serve people, that power raised Christ from the dead. This isn't an ethereal power. This power worked in you and raised Christ Jesus from the dead and then did what? Then did what? Huh? Seated Him. Seated him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That should get you excited. I was reading, I think Chad's, I think Chad, I think you tweeted something about teaching your kids. That I, I teach my kids that you speak of Jesus Christ as the most important person that's ever walked the face of the planet because he is. It's a fact. Jesus Christ right now is ruling this world. Everything that goes on passes through his hands. Nothing comes into your life without his knowing it. Nothing. That should give you comfort. That should give you peace. Jesus Christ is ruling this world right now. 
the power that put him above every name, above every authority, above every kingdom, is the same power that moved upon you to believe the gospel. Man, that excites me. This dead-raising power, and it's at work towards us, that work in us as we believe. One of the things I, I think we need to do is start praying that we would see this. Start praying. How many times do we share the gospel or do we share a story or we say, and we just assume? Like we don't, really, we don't give thanks to God when he saves a soul, or when he causes someone who's been in unbelief to believe. This is a, this is a miracle. I, we think, oh, I, you know, miracles are when people are healed and eyes pop open. and Those are great. But it's a miracle of God when a sinner who wants nothing to do with God, whose heart has been hardened, whose eyes are blind to the truth, when the eyes of their heart are enlightened and they can believe the gospel. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. And my prayers, because of this passage, my prayers have changed. My prayers for you have changed. Very rarely am I going to pray for your business. Very rarely am I going to pray. I'll pray for your marriage, but I'm going to pray that you would come to know God, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the hope, the riches, and the power that God's at work in you. The power of the gospel. That that's at work in your heart right now. Let's, Let's keep reading. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him. This is what the body of Christ is, guys. It's not a gathering. It's that we are the body of Christ. We're the fullness, right? We are filled, constantly being filled by the Holy Spirit. We're constantly being filled with with the Holy Spirit and with the fullness of him, look, who fills all in all. This is the simplest passage for what mission is. We're filled with the Spirit, and we fill the city. We're filled with Christ, and we fill the city. That's mission right there. We're filled with God, we fill the city. That's the simplest definition. And that's our, that's our vision right there. Not to have a big gathering on Sunday morning, but to send out people that are so filled with the power of God, and they're so filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they've been so radically changed by it, that they fill the city. We fill all in all. Man, I'm so, I'm thankful for this. That my neighbor coming to faith isn't necessarily built on my perfect delivery. The power of God is what does it. Power of God is what does it. If you say this, I don't share my faith because I don't know what to say. Your words can't do it anyways. It's the power of God that does it. 
Father, I, I, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to use whatever means necessary, right? Paul talks about whatever means necessary to win as many people as we can. But I pray that the power of God would accompany our words. And the only way to know if that's going to happen is for us to have a thorough understanding of the Word of God. That we don't speak gibberish. We speak the Word of God. Every single person in this room been called to disciple, and you are discipling right now. You're discipling your neighbor. You're discipling your children. You're discipling your coworkers. You're discipling your boss. You're discipling your schoolmates. You're discipling the people that come in contact with you. How are you doing that? Are you doing that in your power, or are you doing that in the power of Christ? <clears throat> I'm thankful tonight that... celebrating the Lord's Supper. That the same power, as he broke the bread and as he walked out of the room and as he took the lashes, as he took our sin upon himself, <clears throat> thankful that the power of God, it's more powerful than death. No one escapes Death. No one has ever escaped death. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then he died again. Jesus Christ defeated death. Tonight when we take in the bread and when we drink the cup, we're literally drinking in that power, man. We're being reminded. We're being reminded that we have a power at work in us, a power on the inside of us, a supernatural power that's acted upon us that gave this power, that raised Christ from the dead power. And it also reminds us that God's got an inheritance that he's waiting on, that we are eating future food here. This reminds us that one day in eternity, we'll sit down with our heavenly father and we'll eat a meal with him face to face. This has got an eschatological implications when we eat this. This is a meal that we celebrate now that points to the future. And I pray, Father, I pray as we come before you tonight that you would convict hearts, you would challenge minds, that we would repent of our sins, we would lay down the things that we worship, success, the opposite sex, relationships, being the Savior, we would lay down those things and we would be reminded from the story of God that we're sinners, that we've been adopted into your family, that it was no light thing, it cost the precious blood of your son, and that we've been drafted. We've been brought into the game We've been written into the story that every one of us are disciple makers. That's why we're here. And Father, we walk out into this world with the confidence that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that saved us and caused us to see and savor the beauty in the face of Jesus Christ, that same power is at work in us to send us out on mission, that we can have confidence when we, when we uh, speak to our neighbor and we talk to our coworker and we talk to our spouse. We can have confidence that we have the power of God at work.
So I pray that you would remind us of that great thing. Remind us of the great cost at which you paid to adopt us into your family. That you are a good God. What, a, what kind of God would do such a thing? Tie his happiness to ours. You tie yourself to us. Pray that we would know that power. Hyper, mega, dynamite power. Every time we see you, every time we believe you're working, you're at work in our life. Every time we repent, it's an evidence of your grace moving upon us. Let us not take that for granted. Jesus' name, amen.